And, you know, just like, you know, if someone tells you their perspective, um, using that word changes in, um, you know, words create worlds. So the words that we're using is creating the world in which we're working and living in. And so, you know, just simple stuff, gosh, you could say some, you know, if someone comes to you and you can tell they're just spinning out, they're not making progress. You know, you could come in and you could talk about deadlines and you could add additional fear that they're already feeling. And guess what? They're going to continue to spin out of control. Or you can go in and say, I, I see in your, and I see in you right now that you, you might be stuck. What's the one thing that could help that I could help you unstick to move forward? And it's important to say, what's one thing? Because <laughs> right. if your boss says to you, can I help you out? You're going to be, oh, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. But by changing that language to what's one thing, they'll tell now that your boss has told you they're requiring you to give one thing. So by gosh, you got to do what your boss says. You'll give one thing. Then that opens up the conversation. You can start to pill it back. Oh, that's so good. Um, but always say to someone, never say, do you need any help? Never say what's, you know, you know, what's wrong here? Just, you know, what's one thing that I can help? What's one roadblock you need moved? What's, you know, one problem you want some ideas on how to solve? What's one something? And that starts the conversation. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 82 with our special guest, Jen Thornton. Jen is the founder, talent strategist, and leadership development consultant with her own consulting firm called 304 Coaching. And Jen is a master with years of experience of helping to build incredible teams, starting from the perspective of how can and how must we lead differently. She's going to talk about something that was new to me today, conversational intelligence. And you're going to be amazed at some of the ideas you take away and just a couple of nuggets she gives you on even some specific questions you can ask differently to enhance the feedback, your people development, and the entire nurturing process of your team. She's going to talk about the role of trust. She's going to talk quite a bit about how vital it is to build a culture of failure. And she's going to talk about the seven deadly sins of leadership, including the science behind our need to always want to be right. And finally, she's going to share this wisdom bomb that leaders must continually humanize themselves. So get ready to learn more about conversational intelligence and ways for you to amp up your leadership impact. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be back today. And my word for today is I am intrigued. I'm intrigued by our guest and the topic that is coming at you in just a couple of minutes. We have Jennifer Thornton with us today. She is the founder, creator, talent strategist, leadership development professional of her organization called 304 Coaching. And Jennifer is all about leadership and all about talent development and what she calls uh, developing your talent pipeline at warp speed. So how about that for all you Star Trek fans? She's got some really interesting topics we're going to talk about today. Uh, she seems to be quite disruptive to me, so I'm already drawn to her and her message. We're going to talk at some point about it being addicted to being right. None of that's going on in the world right now, is it? No, no, not at all. Seven deadly sins of leadership probably going to come up, and we're definitely going to talk about something called conversational intelligence. Jennifer has an incredible track record. She has, she's been in leadership roles, talent development roles. She has led international teams across the world, created new markets, and she brings an unconventional approach to talent development, workforce development, and leadership. And that's what we're all about here at Impact Leadership Podcast. So welcome, Jennifer. 
Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs> That's the key word. There we go. All right. So Jennifer, tell us a little bit about the story that brings you here today. So I guess, you know, my, you know, life started out, um, you know, in retail, my career in retail. And, you know, back when I was young and early in my career, I won't mention the, the age because, you know, who would ever do that? But it was before the internet and before e-commerce. And so I wanted to work at the mall. And by gosh, you know, dreams come true. I worked at the mall and I ran stores at a really young age. And, you know, while my friends had office jobs that were super, you know, fancy and I was hanging out at the mall, I was actually leading teams. I was leading a multi-million dollar business and not really even recognizing at the time what I was learning and how valuable that would be. Um, you know, over the years, I stayed in the operations side for about half of my career. And then I really was, I was just always been passionate about the talent side of the business and my results. I didn't get it because I was competitive. I didn't get my results because I wanted to be number one every day. I got it because I wanted to build incredible teams. And so that kind of led to HR, which was the second part of my traditional career. And that, you know, led me around the world. I got to lead teams around the world and locally here in the U.S., um, which was fantastic. But then, you know, you get to that crossroads in your life where you want to start to specialize and do what you love most. And for me, that really was figuring out how to create teams that created impact. And it's not easy and there's not a script for it and there's not one size fits all. And so that's, you know, kind of what I decided to do at that point. And, um, you know, we all remember those like aha moments. I remember mine and it was in a boardroom in Hong Kong. We had new leadership come in and I was like, I don't think we're going to be aligned. I think it's time for me to jump on this idea I have. And so I did. And that was several years ago and it's been fantastic. And since then, you know, we've been helping companies figure out, you know, how to create incredible teams. Awesome. That's a great story. So, so Jennifer, uh, <clears throat> already love the story, love the passion for this. So let's jump in right into the topic that we all think about every day, eat, sleep, breathe it, which is leadership. Can you just give us a, your perspective on what do you see in leadership in the business world today and what don't you see? I think what I see right now coming out of 2020, going into 2021, and just because our, our new um, way we're working is very unpredictable. And so what I'm seeing is those individuals who lead in a way that um, get comfortable with unpredictability, those people who um, are okay not knowing the answers to all of the questions, those people who are curious, the people who understand that, you know, there's always going to be roadblocks, there's always going to be obstacles, it's our job as leaders to figure out how to help the team through it. Those individuals who are leading that way, I think, are managing the unpredictability that is today's business world much better. I think what I, what's one of the problems I'm seeing is really this need to be in crisis management every day. And there is a time for crisis management. The building's on fire. Get out. We're not going to collaborate. We're not going to talk about how it happened. We're, we're just going to get out of the building. It's on fire. And I think through some of our world events, we got in the habit of crisis management and it doesn't work really well outside of crisis. And so I think that we have to start to break some of those habits and get really comfortable in the unpredictable world we now lead in. Hmm. Really good. Well, that, that's an interesting perspective because as I was listening to you, Jennifer, I'm thinking maybe we've been doing that for decades, actually, not <laughs> just this year, because so much of the old, I'm going to just call it the old leadership style was super directive. It was not collaborative. It was tell and follow, hopefully. So maybe we've been doing this for decades. Maybe that's one of the fundamental shifts we have to make. Well, one of the things that's really interesting, you know, and one of my passions is the neuroscience of the mind and how does it function in conversations and relationships within the workplace. But what we know about the brain and how it functions, most of that we've only learned in the last 20 years because of the progression of science and instruments to measure the brain. You know, it's really hard to take a brain out and check it out and put it back in, right? So, you know, we got to, you know, it took some, took some progress in the science to figure it out. So what's, but then how we've been taught to lead, we were using, we're using techniques that are 50, 60 years old, but that's minus this information we have today around the brain and how it actually works. 
And so I think you're really, you're onto something, you know, we have been leading in a way that doesn't make sense for how human brains actually function. And it is a huge disconnect right now. Now, how much of that is tied back to uh, this is the way we've always done it versus thinking about, okay, let's, let's change it. So you see certain companies that have a different kind of culture. They, they seem to be more vision oriented. Uh, they are, they are not, um, directed rank and file type of folks, but it's more about let's accomplish this mission. Let's, let's see this vision come to reality. Is that part of the shift that you see, or is there something else that's, that maybe I'm missing in there? I definitely think it's part of the, the success to be successful. You have to have a company that's rooted in innovation and rooted and to create innovation. You have to create um, trust and the acceptance of failure. Because without <laughs> innovation, I mean, if you, if you are scared to fail, you'll never innovate. And so I think when you look at really successful companies, they've gotten comfortable with failure. They've gotten um, to a place where they don't shame or blame failure. They've gotten to a place where everyone is curious. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is when leaders, you know, call me and say, well, no one's doing what I tell them to do and no one's making decisions. And my first question is always like, well, what about your style has created an environment where no one's <laughs> making decisions? Yes. You know, like that, right. that there is a reason why a human doesn't just show up to work and not make decisions. They've been programmed to not make decisions out of fear and judgment. And yeah. so, yeah, I think some of the biggest success is around creating this environment where people can fail fast and be proud of their failures is the only way you're going to innovate and stay ahead of, you know, whatever the world is bringing us on a daily basis. So what do you see with the companies that you've worked with? It seems like that's, there's, there's like this two-step process. One, we can build trust. Okay. So we can have a trusting environment. And even that is difficult for a lot of organizations, but then to go to that place where failure is okay, it's not going to be shamed. It's something where we learn through it. How many of the organizations do you see actually do that? So you're right. It is a phased approach and you can't just walk in one day and, you know, if you've been, you know, tell yelling and selling to everyone today, I want you to be innovative and it's okay if you screw yeah. up, like no one's going to screw up. Everyone's going to stay right. on mission, right? They're not going to do it. So it does take time. And I think that's one of the biggest obstacles when leaders start to want to bring new concepts into their companies is it takes time. And we have to kind of um, rewrite how we work together and how we think. And so building trust is the first thing to do. And to build trust, you have to be curious and you have to be acceptance of other people's realities and truth. That is so hard for leaders, so hard. So Jeff, I think I just came up with a new concept for us, something that we can start taking out. To, so for any of us for, to take out to the world, it's failure Fridays. So on Failure Fridays, we're going to celebrate failures and we're going to talk through, hey, this is what happened. This was an epic fail. This is how we're not going to, you know, or this is what we're going to learn from this process going forward. Yeah. But just imagine, like, I love when people talk about failures openly because one, everyone can learn from it, but it really shows what, you know, how you've moved things forward. You know, we didn't learn, we didn't build an airplane and it took off from the ground the very first time we built that airplane. We built several and crashed several. And every time we learn something and that's why as we create things in the world, it gets faster or smarter or, you know, more technology. It's because every time we do something, we learn something new from it and we're able to take that knowledge and move forward. But unfortunately, this perfectionism that a lot of companies try to live in, we halt people's ability to get better because we tell them that anything but perfection is wrong. Um, and you can't get perfection straight out of the gate on day one. Yeah. Kind of like the SpaceX X explosion. Yeah. yeah. And they, they're excited, you know, when it, when something goes wrong, that they know that this is now what doesn't work and to learn, you know, it's kind of like dating. You got to date people you don't want to date to learn who you actually want to date. Right. You have to, <laughs> yeah have to really mess some stuff up to work, learn what doesn't work sometimes. But also I think that people hide their failures um, and don't celebrate them. And that tells the brain, you know, it's not okay to, to get better. Um, and so people don't go out and try things because they're scared to try because they're scared to 
you know, mess it up. Um, but you, you have to, you know, just keep pushing forward to get better and better every day. Ego. Jennifer, you hit a couple really important things there. And, and one I want to touch on is I think it's one of the biggest disconnects in leadership because I've yet to meet a leader, a positional leader who didn't say very openly, at least in conversation with me or someone like me, the most they've ever learned is from failure. They've always learned more from failure than success. It's so vital, but they don't typically allow that in their culture or they say they do, but it's not really accurate. All the things you said, I feel like one of the challenges and disconnects there is, and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think it was uh, Walt Rankovich we were talking about. I think it was Harvard Business Review's survey of the leaders. Their top three fears was okay. not being seen as confident, failing, and making mistakes. <laughs> so this is the top fear, yet they're trying to create a culture where that is encouraged and embraced. But that's their biggest fear, which means they're not going to model it, which means people are not going to feel safe because that's where they're looking for that guidance. So, number one, do you see that? And number two, how do you see companies getting past that? Because it's really, I think, an unconscious block more than a conscious resistance. Yeah, it's actually a biological function of our brain. And so what's interesting is our brain has one job and that is to keep us, keep us alive. That's it. That's all it does. That's its number one job. Now to do that, it provides us with fear chemicals because, you know, when we were, you know, evolving, we had to stay in a tribe. We could not provide shelter and food and water and protection from, you know, the dinosaurs or whatever was out there. You know, we couldn't do that by ourselves and staying in the cave was incredibly safe. Um, and it kept you away from danger. And so what's interesting is our brain, our primitive brain still does that today. But in today's world, fear of failure is just like fear of, you know, getting kicked out of the tribe, fear of losing your job, fear of not looking confident. So then I'm not going to be, you know, um, looked at as that next promotion. And so our brain functions exactly the same. It's just, our brain doesn't know the difference between a snake on the leg and fear of losing my job. It's just a fear chemical. That's all fear is, is a chemical response. And so all of these leaders setting in fear, it's, they're letting that chemical response rule their world because if they got kicked out of the tribe, meaning losing their job, then it would be hard to survive. So their brain is just trying to keep them alive. So, so Jennifer, how much of that, I love this neuroscience piece to this. Do you feel is about leaders being unaware or unwilling to acknowledge even to themselves that this is fear driven? You know, one of the things I saw in 2020 is so many fear-based decisions being made, but the people I don't think were even aware they were making fear-based decisions. They actually seem logical because the brain says be afraid. So come up with a logical story because I don't, acknowledge the fear, but I make decisions from that place. So what are you seeing or finding in the, the realm of the unacknowledged fear, being unaware of the fear that's driving these decisions? So I find that often most people, and again, because we don't talk about this in leadership, we don't talk about how our brain works and how it's driving things. And so it's unfortunate that many people don't really realize that what is going on is actually just a chemical response of fear. Um, so when I start to work with people and we start to get honest with that and they start to just recognize those changes in their mind, it's fantastic to see how things start to evolve for them. Um, the other thing I think is important for us to know when we're working with people and helping them move past fear and especially for leadership, because, you know, you can get all of us in leader as leaders or as individual contributors leading in a group, you know, we all can admit that we want more innovation, more collaboration, more ideas, more learning. Well, that happens in the prefrontal cortex. But when we are in fear, that part of our brain gets turned off. And so when you have a leader leading in fear, they're actually turning off everything they're demanding. And so when you start to teach them that, and those light bulbs start to go off, um, many of them, not all of them, because there is another chemical response to that addiction to being right that you can get into, but many of them start to recognize that when they 
changed their language, um, when they changed their approach, doesn't mean we're not telling the truth. It doesn't mean we're not holding people accountable. It means we're actually doing that more often. When they start to change the language though, and they open up different parts of the brain, they get what they want and that relaxes their fear because the team is performing well. So when you look at, the, I guess, the differences between playing to win and playing not to lose, is that the like difference that. between playing prefrontal cortex and playing in mammalian brain? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of look, look at, yeah, I, I kind of look at CEO math. Um, so some CEOs are divisive. They divide the company. They divide the results. Some subtract, some add, and some multiply. And, you know, when you look at the, the kind of results that people have, you look at what's, what's going on in an organization, ultimately it does come back to that key leader of saying, okay, this is the culture we're, we're creating, but we, we create culture at multiple levels in the organization. So I guess it's, if we choose to lead for more, I guess there's, there's the, I want more of something, that's the prefrontal cortex. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And then I just want less of, so if you're, if you're leading to, I want less drama, I want less unpredictability, those types of things. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the language makes such a difference. I mean, you can, you know, some, some simple stuff, you know, like I, one of my favorites, when you hire an expert, you know, to come in and then after 90 days, they come to you with all these great ideas. And then you go, ah, you know, we've tried all that. You don't <laughs> want that. You know, that's a little much for us, you know? And so, just saying that to someone you've hired to be innovative and bring ideas to you, you've shut them down. You've told them, Hey, I, I I'm just going to give you a paycheck. I really don't need you to think. Okay. <laughs> but what if their ideas really weren't going to work and you knew that, but you needed to tell them that you could say it in a way as, you know what, we've tried these things in the past. It didn't work, but you're a new person. This is a new time. I'd like to hear from you why you think it would be different this time. Or here is why it didn't work last time. Go back to the drawing board. Tell me how you're going to fix that one thing. Or I don't see it, but change my mind. Any of those opens up the yeah. environment where you can still be creative and still be honest versus, ah, yeah, I, you know, I've heard it all before. Go back to your desk, which is what <laughs> we tell new people all of the time. Boy, talk about crushing somebody and, and, making, and creating disengagement. But it happens, I, you know, especially when I worked in corporate, you know, America and watch big teams and that would, they would, you know, recruiting team would work. So, I mean, everyone worked so hard to find this perfect person. And then we told them just to really set in the corner. Like wow. we really didn't want you to think we, we told you that in the interview process, but we weren't serious. So Jeff has this idea for a sign that says no humans allowed. I think, you know, in some companies we may, may need no brains allowed as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that's the same person who calls me and is mad because no one's thinking for themselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I love this idea of the words because as Craig knows, I pay great attention to words. I pay attention to the words I use, the words that people use in their leadership or don't, and words they can change. You know, as you were speaking, one that popped into my head, the difference between closing and opening is so often discussions are about, um, sides and and you know the word that i invite a lot of my clients to use either with their team or the team member says how do i get my boss to listen i said well try this out when your boss tells you something say to them i appreciate you sharing your perspective with me are you open to hearing my perspective because now you're framing everything as a perspective which i believe it is versus can can i hear tell you my side of it well side means okay we're going at it here now, now we're entrenched. So is this, are these some examples of what you talk about in terms of conversational intelligence? Is that, are we in that realm now? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, really understanding how to tell the truth, give feedback, but do it in a way in which people grow and people start to collaborate in a whole new way. And, you know, just like, you know, if someone tells you their perspective, um, using that word changes in, um, you know, words create worlds. So the words that we're using is creating the world in which we're working and living in. And so, you know, just simple stuff, gosh, you could say some, you know, if someone comes to you and you can tell they're just spinning out, they're not making progress. 
you know, you could come in and you could talk about deadlines and you could add additional fear that they're already feeling. And guess what? They're going to continue to spin out of control. Or you can go in and say, I see in your and I see in you right now that you you might be stuck. What's the one thing that could help that I could help you unstick to move forward? And it's important to say what's one thing. Because <laughs> right. if your boss says to you, Can I help you out? You're gonna be, oh no, I got it, I got it, I got it. But by changing that language to what's one thing, they'll tell now that your boss has told you you're they're requiring you to give one thing. So by gosh, you gotta do what your boss says, you'll give one thing then that opens up the conversation. You can start to peel it back. Oh, that's so good. Um, but always say to someone, never say, do you need any help? Never say what's, you know, you know, what's wrong here? Just, wow. you know, what's one thing that I can help? What's one roadblock you need moved? What's, you know, one problem you want some ideas on how to solve? What's one something? And that starts the conversation. Jennifer, I love that. I see how you can apply that in every area of life as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my husband, I could tell him one or two things he could do around the house. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of asking the question to my wife. Okay, so what's the one thing I can do to help you right now? Or, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're networking, you know, what's the one thing that I could do to, to help you in your business right now versus, you know, what are you looking for? I don't know. You know, how can I help answer. you? Right. Yeah. The part of this, really it good. sounds like is it's a shift to new language, but it starts with eliminating certain language that we know closes things off. Hmm. That's yeah. what I'm hearing. You know, there's these things we say, and I'm a big believer in that eliminating words, eliminating phrases, like on accountability. One, as you mentioned, accountability, one that popped in my head is, I tell people all the time, don't ever, ever, ever again say to someone, why didn't you get this done? Right. Because you might as well say, can you please get me the most exhaustive list of excuses you could possibly come up with? Well, don't I want to know? I said, actually, you don't, because all they're going to tell you if you ask it that way is the dog ate the homework. I ran out of time. I had other priorities. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Bob called me. Mary called me. It, it might as well say, give me the list of excuses. So stop, stop that. So I have eliminated that. I tell them, don't ever ask anybody that again in the rest of your life. And what's the helpful phrase that you do suggest? Well, in my process, instead of saying that, I'm going to say, what did you choose to do instead of honoring this commitment? Because I've wow. got, I want to help them find the, the choices they made somewhere in the line. I guarantee they made choices because if not, it'll never change. The behavior won't change. Yeah. Because if they think it was about this other priority that someone put on their desk, well, that's going to happen tomorrow and they're going to miss the deadline again. Yeah. And a lot of times it's way upstream. It could be, you know, the choice, the thing was, Jeff, when you gave me this assignment, I didn't ask enough questions or I didn't ask you to talk about the priorities to figure out if this made even sense. And that way now we're having a conversation about a solution, not the problem. But the problem doesn't matter. All that matters is the solution. Be interesting too. You know, sometimes we fail and mess deadlines or we get it wrong and sometimes we succeed. And if the question was the same both times, then that allows people to continue to grow. So could it be after every accomplishment, bad or right, wrong, however you want to define them, is tell me what you learned. You know, it's one thing that you learned that will take that you'll carry with you so that you get better and stronger next time. I love that question. I think it's an important one, Jennifer, because as you were talking earlier about how we learn from failure, you said something that I have, the way you said it, as I remember it, I don't, I don't think I fully agree. Okay, and that yeah. you said, we always learn something from failure. And I think we assume we do, but I think the learning actually needs to be a little more intentional, which is why I like that question to actually look at it. Because usually a lot of time the learning is, that sucked. I don't want that to happen again. So just don't let that happen. <laughs> again. Well, that's not really a learning. That's, that's that knee jerk. Like I fell off. Don't do that again. Mm -hmm. I slammed my hand in the car door. Don't do that again. Yeah. You know, but did I really learn something? And I think, I think learning for me is more intentional than we think it is. So the, the, you know, kind of don't touch the stove. It's hot. And I touched yep. it to see if it's hot. You know, what that does is it starts to create kind of that unconscious way we move around danger. 
And that happens in the workplace. Don't bring up topic A because he hates it or she hates it and you'll get in trouble for it. And so no one brings up that topic. And so we do learn what not to touch, um, right or wrong, um, whether that's appropriate or not to, to do in the workplace, but we do start to create that unconscious movement away from things that are dangerous through getting in trouble or getting a poor response. Well, and I think that, you know, that's really interesting you brought up the stove because you're talking earlier about curiosity. And I always think about young kids. Why do they touch the hot stove? Number one, they don't know better, but it's really because they're curious. They want to know if you're telling the truth. Right. They're curious first and they don't know better. And, but when they touch the hot stove or get near it, they don't learn in that not to be curious. They just learn not to touch the hot stove. The problem is what we do with the curiosity. And I think that so often a lot of my work with leaders is around saying, let's teach, let's interact with our people like they're children, not because they're immature, but they need to learn the same way. Cause what do we do with our kids? I don't know if you have kids, Jennifer. No. So I'm an expert in child raising. So I have no children. Well, but, but you know, that's <laughs> like, what's the, what is the favorite word of most three and four year olds? Why? 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 And that's curiosity. And yet, because we get frustrated with it, it's so easy to go to because, and we do that with our people. I mean, I will tell you in my first career, I got branded and it was a brand. They said numerous times to me, Jeff, you asked too many questions. And they told me enough that I decided, well, this is clearly not a place that's right for me because I'm always going to ask questions. I'm always going to wonder, is there a better way? I'm always going to say, why are we doing it this way? And that doesn't make sense. And couldn't we try this? And so I got tired of pounding my head against the wall. And they would probably say they never stifled my curiosity, but they did every time. Hmm. They said, stop asking questions. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things when we look at conversation intelligence, one of the movement is, you know, asking questions we don't have the answer to. And that's really hard. And, you know, some of those could be, you know, if, if, none, of, if none of these resources were available to you, what would you do? You know, because you don't know the answer to that. Someone's got to think that through. You don't know. Um, and so I think that asking questions in the workplace is incredible, you know, and fortunately you were assertive enough to say, I'm going to st not stop asking questions. I'm going to continue being curious. I'm going to find a place who respects my curiosity, but how many people at that organization back then had the answer that everyone needed, but kept it to themselves because they were taught to be quiet and to shake their head and agree. And it's, it's your path to greatness because if you have something some knowledge that other people don't have it makes job security yeah absolutely. what a sucky way to live <laughs> i know one of the things i really try to talk to especially fast-growing companies and i you know i call it the talent cliff lack of a better name but when it basically what happens is when you when you're when you don't invest in your team but you only invest in your product or your service yeah. your product or service eventually outperforms the skill set of the group and when that happens, we move into crisis management. Hmm. And then as soon as that happens, we say things like stop asking questions, do as I say. And so your, your big thinkers, the people who probably got you to that place start to drop off and leave because they're going to find a place that allows them to be curious and be innovative. And then what you're left with are those people who are going to go, okay, well, that's fine. I'm just going to sit here for whatever reason. There could be you know, I can't find another job within a commuting distance. You know, there, there could be reasons why someone has to, you know, just be okay and I'm going to do it and get through the day. Um, and that's when you're only left with that, you've kind of gone off the talent cliff and, you know, your business goes right behind it. Wow. Let me talk about a very specific question here, Jennifer, because I think I love questions. I, I mean, I'm a believer in questions. I think that questions are the most important leadership tool. Uh, but they have to be good questions. They can't be the rhetorical questions. It can't be the questions we already know the answer to. And there are some questions that seem innocuous, but in the context, they're not. And the one that flashed in my head is this, where so many people come to their leader, their manager, whomever, with an idea. 
And the response is often this, I like your idea, but, and here's the question, have you thought about this? Which seems like a brilliant question. It seems like a good question. Like we're going to get to this best answer, but I have told many leaders, you need to stop saying that. Because what, and partly it's the relationship and the lack of trust, but so many people hear that as, so my idea really isn't good enough. And what you're really telling me is you want me to do your idea, because now you just told me what safe is. Safe is to do this. And I do think it's about trust, but there's so many trust issues and breaks that that's a question I think can be, it's a brilliant question, except it can be really dangerous. Yeah. I agree. And you can even change it to, because say they have brought a good idea, but it's not quite there yet. So instead of the, but, you know, here's more say, I, I like the way, I like the direction you're taking this. Are you <laughs> open to you and I sitting here and flushing it out and just really kind of digging in and seeing what sticks, helping. And then you start to help them flush out the idea and get it to where it's usable instead of the, but, and then even if you have the answer, you know, or you don't, may not have the answer, but teaching them that you're there to help, you know, grow their ideas. You're there to help them think bigger and that you're going to cheer them on while they're thinking bigger. And is there a way to do that without taking the, the, the monkey on your back? Because that, that sounds like a way of, okay, now I'm going to insert myself into the process rather than saying, you know, this is, this is really good. I like this direction. Um, what's what's the next step you know is there one more thing that i that that you need from me that i can help to bring this across the finish line or something yeah, I, I don't know. something like that and then also say i think this is fantastic you know who 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 do you think would be important to collaborate with to make your make your vision come to reality hmm. that's good and then you're pushing them back into the team mm-hmm. and telling them collaboration's important and really say good. once you've identified that person and once you've started that collaboration, I want that your your group, two, three, however many is needed to collaborate. I want you guys to come back and I want you to tell me all the good and bad ideas you've come up with along the way and why you've landed on your final. Ooh. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, one of the things that I I see in that, and I think this is, I've learned it's a big challenge for the leaders because I bring it up to them, is I'll say a lot of times you have to be, you have to learn and be willing to accept a pretty good idea, even though you have a better idea. Because sometimes it needs to just be their idea. Well, isn't the idea to always have the best idea? I said, not necessarily, because your people don't grow that way. You know, you've been through this. You have the experience. Many times your idea will be better. And many, not always, but many times. But if every time we're getting there, then why should people come to ideas to you? Because they might as well just wait to be told what to do. And there's a lot of struggle because there's that belief that says it's got to be the best idea. It, it doesn't really mean they think they always have the best idea, but it has to be best. I said, you know what? No, most ideas, 80% is good enough. Yeah. There's a few things that need to be epic, but most things just need to be done and done in an empowering, engaging, collaborative way. And, and you move you, to the next thing. Yeah. And if you can upgrade or upgrade your people's skills and, and thinking ability along the way, all the better. Yeah. I think that reminds me of like false priorities. You know, is your priority that your that the idea has to be perfect, or is the priority that most that a handful have to be fantastic, most need to be good, but the priority is making sure your team is innovative. Mm. And if the priority is your team is innovative and open to continuing to grow and stretch what's possible, then you're absolutely right. Then some of the ideas have to be good enough because you don't want to stifle where they're going. 
And so you, a leader has to pick what priority they actually have and then work in a way in which that priority is, you know, not just words on paper, but truthful to how they lead. Well, speaking of innovation, I, I just did a, back in November, I did a, a workshop on innovative leadership, just this topic. And one of the things we talked about was they had a, they had a huge disconnect. Let's just say that because senior, senior leadership thought they were very innovative. The rest of the organization thought they weren't. And I said, well, that means you're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, but we said, no, if they think you're not, then you're not, because that's where the innovation needs to be happening. So that's really what's true here. And we were trying to figure out, you know, some of the reasons that was happening, what they could shift in that. And we talked about this perfection thing. We talked about whose idea was it. But back to the words, one of the phrases, because I had them do, on, we were on a Zoom call and I had them do a poll. And I said, which camp are you in around change? Are you a change junkie, which is like me? At, at potentially at risk of shaking things up too much. On the other side, are you super change resistant? And in the middle, I said that I like change when it's needed, but I don't <laughs> want change for the sake of change. Yeah. And I told them that phrase blocks innovation. Horrible. Well, no, it's neutral. I said, no, it's not. You think it's neutral. It feels neutral. It feels logical, but when people hear that, that's a message of you better have a super good reason to change something because we're going to stay with what we've done unless you have a great reason to change. This isn't about trying new things. This isn't about testing it out at all, and they didn't see that at all. I think they do now. Okay. Well, it's the, it's the statement of, hey, my way is the best way unless you can prove otherwise. You know, that, that goes really far in your relationships. <laughs> so Jennifer, we may have talked about this, but this is something always on my head and heart, frankly, around these topics. So many of the things you've shared, we talk about, we've had other guests talk about it. We had a guest last week. I think his episode's coming out this week. Dan? And yeah, tomorrow. my question to him was, Dan, we're all saying mostly the same thing. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of coaches, consultants, all saying some version of the same thing for leaders. And I'm not seeing a lot of change. I see some, but not a lot. And he said, yes, yeah, sometimes I just wonder, is anybody listening? So I'm curious, what's been your experience of I guess not whether leaders are listening, but what do you think gets in the way of that listening and real change? I think what gets in the way is overwhelm. And when, um, when we go to try to change something about ourselves, it's a new idea, right? So I'm going to be a leader who asks questions, right? And I'm going to not. So, okay, great. You wake up one day and you're going to be this person. And you do it a couple of times and your unconscious brain is like, that's not who we are. So I'm going to fight that a little bit. Um, and so then, you know, it works, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work like you think it works. And so you get overwhelmed and overwhelm is the first state that your brain puts you in when it doesn't want you to change. And our brains don't like to learn new. They don't like to change who they are. Like they just don't. They like being who they are you know, you're attacking the unconscious ego. And so I think overwhelm. And so when you look at why we give up, like, you know, I'm going to, you know, set a new year's resolution and I'm going to, you know, lose 10 pounds this year. And the first two days it's awesome until something happens and then you're overwhelmed. And, and then, you know, when that starts to happen, you start to find reasons why it can't be done or reasons it do doesn't work. Then you go into blame, like that coach was an idiot. You know, he and she didn't know what they were talking about. They said this would work, and I just proved it didn't work. And then you give up. And you eat the whole bag of potato chips. And you eat the whole bag of potato <laughs> chips. I know. They're fantastic. Um, so I think they people get into overwhelm, and they don't, they don't know enough about how to, and they're not patient to know that it takes time. If you're going to truly change who you are, you're not only changing you, you're changing everyone around you and they get to go at their own pace. 
So how much it sounds to me, and I agree with you on that, Jennifer, that so much of this resistance is just purely internal. It's um, there's some external excuses, but it's really internal resistance to change. You know, someone on a, I did a and speaking engagement a month ago, we were talking about this and we were talking about the importance of really making time to engage with your people. People are human. They want that interaction across the organization. And four or five of them all gave me the same version of the question in the chat saying, can you give us, for those of us who struggle with time to do that, can you give us some tips? And I got really frustrated. I don't know if they knew how frustrated I was. I said, look, how about this? When you make time for your people, the message they hear loud and clear is that you care about them, you value them, they matter, they're seen, they're heard, and this is a safe place for them. When you don't, they feel unheard, unvalued, uncared about, they feel like they don't matter. And if that message doesn't matter to you, there's not a tool I can give you. <laughs> I can give you tools, but until you actually get that this you're basically, when you don't engage with your people, you might as well walk by and smack them all in the face every day. Yep. And, and hit them hard and say, I see you, get it done, or I'll smack you tomorrow. That's you right. might as well just do that. So I think there's, this is, that's why Craig and I both talk about leadership is about this work inside of us. Yes. It's a little about tools and tactics and strategy, but it's a lot about what's going on in here. That's why I love the neuroscience you're talking yeah. about. It's really about unpacking, you know, what's what's causing us from an emotional and, and intellectual state to to act the way that we do and then to change those things over time. Um, ultimately, you know, when we get exposed to new ideas, oh, wait, you mean as a leader, I'm supposed to be taking care of my people? Oh, OK, well, that's a new concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a new concept for people who are stepping out of a technician role. Yes. Absolutely. And it's a big shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's what we attach success to. And when I work with executives, one of the first things we start to work on is what, what, what equates success? Like what makes you successful? Because, you know, especially, you know, a lot of people, I mean, we've heard a million times people say, what got you here won't get you there. And that's right. because you're attaching success to what was success look like in position A, maybe a technician. And then you go to your first manager job. Well, you have to reattach success to something else because if you keep, attaching success to your to-do list and that you check the boxes, well, then that's not successful as a manager. If you say, okay, now I'm going to attach success to team engagement, the um, quality of, not my quality of output, but the quality of the people on my team and every level um, start to look at how you attach success and what you attach it to mentally. I think that helps people start to change a little bit too, um, because they just are really excited to attach it to physical check the box type stuff. Feels good when you make those checks. I know it does, right? It gets you a little dopamine hit. You're like, woohoo, look at me. I got it done. Got my list. Jennifer, (laughs) I know we've talked a lot about um, around and about conversational intelligence. And I know I saw in what you shared with us, you have that connected as the solution to what you call the seven deadly sins of leadership no one is talking about. My guess is we've talked about some of those already. But could you just share those for us and our listeners, those seven deadly sins? Absolutely. So what's interesting is when we are um, in a place of authority, um, especially if we got there quickly, like high achievers, when we are right and when we are successful and when we do something that creates a good result, we get a dopamine hit and that is what addictions are based in. Whether your addiction is to sugar or shopping or a substance, it's a dopamine response. Being right is the exact same thing. And we can become addicted to it. And so what happens over time, that addiction starts to cloud our reality, because if, if we're not right, it starts to take away our truth. And to maintain that, um, you know, that level of dopamine hit, we start to demonstrate the seven deadly sins. Um, And so one of the ones that we've talked a lot about is wrath. And so when you do not believe the way I believe, you don't think the way I think, you don't have the idea that I want you to have, then there's punishment, there's wrath. 
Um, oftentimes we get into um, pride. You know, pride is one of the seven sins and we're all about our ideas. We're all about our truth. And we don't really care about anyone else's. And we talked a little bit about that. And then one of the other ones that happens a lot is sloth. And that's when we think we're smarter than everyone in the room. And we're willing to tell everyone in the room how to do their job, but we're not actually willing to do it. And we're not actually willing to learn it. But by gosh, we'd be more than happy to tell people how to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've been talking about how all of that shows up um, in the workplace. And a lot of it comes from our need to have that dopamine hit. And, you know, that's why, you know, Craig talked about his checklist. He loves to check it off because you get a dopamine hit. That's why executives have a hard time moving to vision because their dopamine hit has always been attached to the completion of a task. Yeah, so yeah. it's really hard to, to attach that dopamine hit to a completion of a vision. And that's a big piece of it. Hmm. Well, and that's interesting. You say, when you talked about defining success, you kind of, in your third one about sloth, you really have to define what smartest means. Yeah. Because I have met some leaders and I've coached some leaders mm -hmm who genuinely are the smartest in the room in terms of intelligence and even some of their logic processing systems. Like you go, they really are. Now, that doesn't mean they have all the good ideas. It doesn't mean some other people aren't smarter in the context, but I think it's even harder for them when they legitimately are that. And in this case, he had built a lot of his self-perception um, self based upon being the smartest person in the room. So for him not to be basically means I have to say I'm no longer the best and I'm no longer confident and no longer me. I mean, it was a pretty deep issue going on there, but it showed up as he had to be the smartest one in the room. And it probably yeah. started in grade school for him or even earlier, you know, yep. his, his attachment to his, his ego, who he was, was attached to being the smartest person in the world room. And that worked for a long time <laughs> for him until he got to a place where it no longer worked. And how did he, then you have to, again, reattach success. And that is hard, um, but really good work. And, you know, like any addiction, we don't change until the pain of living in it is greater than the pain of change. Yeah. And I think that's, when you think about leaders who really do change, a lot of them have to find a little bit of that bottom first. Hmm. And it's not, there's, you know, when you're, when you have that smartest in the room complex, it's very difficult to let other people have good ideas. Yep. It takes away your, it takes away everything that you're addicted to and yep. addicted to that dopamine head of being right. Cause if someone else is right, then they've taken away your drug of choice. But wait, what about this? Why didn't you think about this? What, you know, uh, well, it also can, also it can also lead to bullying in the sense mm -hmm. of setting mm -hmm. these people up so that they don't to make them look stupid. Absolutely. And to yeah. try and diminish them because they, that there's that there and they don't they don't even know they're doing it usually. Yeah. You know, uh, Tommy Spaulding was on our show early in the whole podcast, and he said, you know, the problem is, and I agree with him. If you ask a hundred leaders if they're a servant leader, nine or not, you know, ninety nine, ninety five of them will say yes, I am, or more. But the reality, only ten percent of them really are. If you ask their people. But he said the rest of them didn't wake up and said, I'm going to go to work and be a jerk today. They actually went to work saying, I'm, you know, I'm the servant leader, but they're unable or unwilling at that point to see that that's just not true. And if we're not willing, if I'm not willing to hear and know the truth about myself, it's, I'm not going to change. You know, that's my belief. Otherwise, it's going to be a hollow change. It's going to be check a box. Yeah, I had meetings with you all. Okay. Now I'm communicating. I asked how your day was. Okay, yeah. I was nice to you today. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But sometimes, Which is a you know, to ask around the world because Americans ask that and we really don't want to know. Like we yeah. expect, the expect answer is fine. Right. But if you ask that question in other countries, they stop and they think and they actually tell you how their day is going. It's hysterical. And when I was helping executives learn how to work around the world is one of the things I warned them about. Like, if you ask, how's your day or how's it going? What's new? They will answer you and you need to listen to the answer or don't ask the question. Right. 
but that's a very American thing. It's all very, Mm -hmm. we're very efficient in how we work and to be efficient, we cut corners and what we cut corners on is the people piece. Yeah. Would you say that's an important piece for leaders to model? You know, I think, you know, we've all met people that when we ask them how they are, they give us the 40 minute answer. That's too much. Yeah. It's, It's generally too much. Now I will say this though, if there's something legitimate going on, and it takes 40 minutes, that's fine. But they get, you know, this, the rest of just this story. But I think it seems to me that leaders have to start, like so many things, leaders go first. So that when people do say to them, how are you today? They start being pretty honest. So, you know, overall, I'm, you know, I might say overall, I'm pretty good. I got to tell you, yesterday was frankly a tough day, man. I just got, I got overwhelmed with some things. I, I recovered from it. But to start going into some depth or, you know, right now I got to tell you, it's home is tough right now. You know, the kids are in this on, you know, they're learning at home and I don't know about you, but this, we all just, we're doing it. We're gotten through it, but this is hard stuff. And it distracts me from my work. And I think that's where leaders are terrified to do that because I think there's a fear for of leaders to just humanize themselves. Yeah, humanizing um, is so important. Um, in 2020, my word of the year was um, humanize or um, to humanize people. Little did I know what I was walking into. And like, you know, and I had like, it was like, it was a little too um, foreshadowing for me, but that was my word of the year. And um, it's one of the things we just struggle at as leaders, because then if we feel like we understand a person, we can't be tough if they don't get the deadline. We can't be this and we can't you know, we can't tell them the truth that they don't perform well. And, um, but yeah, humanizing is so important. Um, and I just don't think we talk about it enough. Good for you. Well, this is, this is really incredible. Um, so grateful we had you here, Jennifer. I know it's uh, offered a lot to our listeners, a lot to me. That's, that was yeah. a new phrase to me, conversational intelligence. I've never heard <laughs> the phrase. I get where you're coming from and I'm with you. I think it's so vital. And So grateful you're doing this kind of work in the world. So is there anything in particular that you want to highlight or promote for our listeners, Jennifer? Is there any one thing that we can? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, we have some great resources on our website, 304coaching.com and, you know, grab them. You know, um, if you have questions and there's something you need to tell someone and you don't know how to tell them the truth um, and you need to do it in a way that, you know, promotes um, engagement and not fear, send me send me a direct message. I'd be happy to share that with you. But, you know, I think what I want your listeners to know today is that um, we're human. We have to humanize ourselves first um, and really start to think about how do we humanize others around us. Oh. Love it. So you mentioned the website. What are the best ways for people to connect with you? Is it to just direct message you, Jennifer? Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and you can find me at Jen Thornton ACC on LinkedIn. Um, You can message me there or through our website at 304coaching.com. Fantastic. And we always wrap up, Jennifer, with a couple of questions. And my, my first question for you, Jennifer, is I'm going to use one of my favorites. I love movies. Craig and I love movies. So I want you to think about movies or television. Is there, what's the scene or the movie or a quote or whatever from performances, TV and movies that speak to you about leadership? Um, one of my favorite ones, again, because I love innovation, is Apollo. Um, and there's this scene, you know, where there's like Houston, we have a problem. And the guy walks in with all these parts. And he yeah. throws them on the table and he tells the engineers, figure it out. And he walks away. And he let the people who are the experts figure it out. Yeah. And I love that one. It's about taking parts that you don't, that you see them as one way to use them and having to figure out how to use them in a different way. And again, the leader didn't stand over and go, no, figure it out faster, faster. No, do this. Don't do that. No, they walked away. And if he had stood over them yelling at them that they can't get it right, they would have been in complete fear. And we probably would not have gotten those astronauts home. And so I think there's a lot in that scene that really speaks to letting people do their job and do it right. And 
looking at things and using them in a way that, you know, you never thought you could. That's a great scene. And I think one of the things that you're probably also talking about here is that he didn't have to say, we, we were in a rush, right? We need to get this done because the mission of NASA is to put people in space and bring it back safely. And so they know the, the impact of what their decision is. It has to be done and it has to be done quickly because we got some people in peril. Yeah, I love that one. It's a good one. Well, I don't it's do perfect. Sports, so I'm sure there's fantastic ones in sports, but I don't understand sports. <laughs> well, it's perfect for what you said earlier, because, you know, that same scene is when he says failure is not an option. Yeah. And we've been talking about how failure is not only an option, it's essential. But in that specific case, yeah, it fit because that was mission critical. That was life critical. And in yeah. that case, we are going to say failure is not an option here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not going to be our mantra across all of the things we do. But notice, Jeff, that failure was not an option in the bigger context. But mm-hmm. to come up with the solution, they could fail multiple times in their in their bubble of the sandbox as they're trying to test, you know, what's going to work, you know, they're going through and they're trying it out, but in the actual implementation, the final implementation has to work. But that's the thing though. That's the risk of language because there are thousands of companies around the world that use that scene to tell people not to innovate without knowing they're doing it. Cause the the line is so epic. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, Hey, no failure is not an option here. And they, they may have banners up that say failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. And they don't put it in context. So now the message is you better be perfect. You got to get right. this right. The first um, time, the first time you yep. put these cards together, better yeah. be <laughs> paint the world. Right. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> Unless so you're my last, yeah. My last question for you, Jennifer, is think about le- who in your world, whatever that means, do you see as a real strong leadership model and why? Oh, this is one of I think the most difficult questions. I don't think there's one person. Um there are a lot of different people. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in the retail industries where I might, you know, got my, you know, leadership experience. What's interesting about it is there's very few female leaders in the retail industry. You would think that really? there would be a ton. Yeah. There's very few female leaders hmm. in the retail industry. And so I was really fortunate at a young age that I had some really good, um, female leaders that, um, created an example um, and said it was okay to be a leadership in the retail industry, which, you know, it's just crazy to think that there's just not a lot of, you know, females there are today, but most of them started their own companies. If you look at some of the really big boxes, the gaps, American Eagles, expresses limited brands, they're all very heavily still today, male dominated. Hmm. Um, so I was like, I had some really great female leaders early on. Um, and then when I look at today's world, I think there's, um, again, I, I look to some female leaders out there that are making a difference. Um, Mindy Grossman at Weight Watchers, she's fantastic. Um, she goes out and she does some really great things. Um, I also am a huge fan of Oprah Winfrey's. I think that, you know, I look at leadership, she actually is, you know, in a lot of ways, Mindy's boss. Um, but when you see them together, you can really see how they push each other. Um, and they don't compete, they complement. And I think that's important in leadership um, in executive groups that you never compete, that you always complement each other. Such good stuff, Jennifer. Thank yeah. you. And thank you in that final question for highlighting to all of us, including me, that there's still a long road to be traveled when it comes to uh, gender, diversity, and leadership. And yeah. equity. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're we're recording this January of 2021 and a report came out this morning with net gains, net loss and all the different slice and dice. A hundred percent of the unemployment this month came from females. What? Yeah. There's a report that came out. I read it right before we jumped on, but it's like, you know, who gained, who lost over all of it. And that's how it washed out. And so because of homeschooling and things like that, COVID will set women back in the workplace. Um, And so I think it's important for us to, you know, again, talk about how to to help each other because we need, we need us all. Well, thanks for sharing that, Jennifer. And thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I knew we'd have fun and I had a great time. I hope you did too. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.